I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. I see the crystal raindrops fall, and the beauty of it all is when the sun comes shining through to make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometimes, and I want to spend some time with you. For those of you that don't know, uh, those are the opening lines to Just the Two of Us by Bill Withers and Grover Washington. Steve D is with me, but no Paul this week. How are you, Steve? Uh, I am very tired, Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. I have had a pretty busy day. Uh, basically, um, uh, it's a long story short, my car's on charge and uh, and it, it needs charging for to, tomorrow, so I've had to walk to the shops and back today. Uh, I had a very late night. I was ready to lay on the sofa and my uh, my mother turned up and decided that she needed me to go to the garden centre and carry things for her. And then I've got home and um, yeah, I, I was tired again and I thought I might as well just carry on. So I've planted everything and bought far too much soil and yeah, I am I'm quite tired. How about you? Pretty good, actually, over here. So just so everyone knows, this is a Sunday that we're recording this on, which is unusual for us. Normally we record these on sort of Thursday evenings after work or sometimes on a Wednesday evening, and very occasionally even earlier in the week. But we try and get it somewhere near the weekend, but with enough time to edit it, that invariably means a kind of uh, weekday evening, and we've usually been at work beforehand. This is a Sunday. I'm feeling pretty relaxed. I've had quite a nice day. I don't really do that much on Sundays. I'm not dragging myself around garden centres at this time of year or anything like that. It's uh, it's much more relaxed. I was thinking this was much better. Uh, if only we could find some sort of more timely way of getting news out on a, mm. uh, a weekend. But um, if you're good to go, uh, we'll push on with the rest of the show. Yeah, please. If I start snoring, just uh, send me a text and wake me up. <laughs> well, we have a really interesting sort of show today. It's a little bit of a change from our normal sort of offering. So what we have is the first ever uh, Playing FTSE Personal Finance Awards. We're having an awards day because it was Oscar season not so long ago. Um, and we thought we'd come up with some of our own. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But as usual, and just so we make sure that we give you the kind of stock-related content and nonsense that you expect from us, we've got a game to play. Um, I don't particularly have a name for this game. This is another one that you can pop in the comments below if you're interested, and I feel like it ought to lend itself to a good name. Uh, I just haven't quite managed to put it together in my head yet. But here's how this game works. I've got 10 questions. We'll just kind of roll down them in order, uh, Steve. It's not a million miles away from a kind of game that we've played before that I think was one of your um, innovations. But I've been looking through some 13Fs from the previous quarter, which is uh, end of Q4 uh, at mm-hmm. the moment. Um, and I've focused on one that I think is particularly interesting, one that Paul would like us to talk about more. So I thought we'd try and uh, make good on this while we were away. I've been looking at Stan Druckenmiller's portfolio, mm-hmm. which has lots of interesting things. He's a very, very sophisticated, very, very successful uh, investor. He now ra- uh, runs the Duquesne family office. So he's not a uh, hedge fund in quite the conventional way, but a similar sort of operation. Uh, I've got 10 of his stocks here, which um, he has which are listed on his most recent 13F. So they may be new additions, there may be things he's sold out of, there may be things he's gone up or down in, or there may be things he's done nothing at all. All you have to do, Steve, is tell me in Q4, uh, was he a net buyer, seller, or hold uh, of all of these? So what kind of change was there in his portfolio on any of these? And I've tried to stick to stocks that we tend to be interested in or talk about reasonably regularly on the show. So people have an idea of the kind of things that might be coming up. Sound okay? Yep, sounds good. Okay, here we go. Uh, first stock, Meta Platforms, a favourite of mine at the moment. Oh, so that's an interesting one. I seem to remember it being not a huge part of his portfolio. So I would imagine with with the price just being so much better at the moment that he would be he would be adding. I think he'd be adding. You think he'd be adding? Of course, this is the uh, stuff that was going on between uh, October and December of last year that we're covering here at the moment. You're hmm. Sticking with adding, just so you've got an idea of what's going on there. I'm going to stick to holding. <laughs> 
Okay, you got, your final answer is holding, I guess? Yes. Excellent. Uh, you are incorrect. Ah. So in Q4 of um, last year, he sold the whole damn lot. Um, so, of course he did, yes, I yeah. remember. Uh, so yeah, no more, uh, well, at the time, no more meta platforms. It'd be interesting, as you say, uh, with the recent kind of price movement since their earnings to see whether he's come back into that or not. Don't know. Um, second guessing investors like Drucker Miller is way, way, way beyond my pay grade. But uh, that's interesting to what me. A, what an incredible bit of market timing. Mm. Uh, and if he has bought them all back, he's now sat on a massive, uh, nice, basically short move uh, from what mm. I can see of it. Uh, sell first, buy later. Okay. Stock number two. Um, Chris Hill favourite, Starbucks. Hmm. Now, Starbucks is one I don't remember seeing in his portfolio, and I have skimmed over it a couple of times. Um, I would be, again, could he have foreseen the sort of problems that Starbucks is sort of like running into? Um, yeah, why not? Why not do two lots of timing? I think he probably sold a little bit of this one. It's going to be a sell or a hold. I'd be amazed if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm, but you're leaning towards sell. Sell. You're correct. A. Hey. Uh, yes, this is his 16th largest holding as of the end of uh, 2021. Um, he'd sold 82% of his position in uh, Q4. I mean, so he's thinking... Uh, it's always a little bit... Um, strained when i try and tell you what he's thinking here right but there is a line of thought that says starbucks uh high input costs high labor costs with labor going up uh high costs of opening new stores lots and lots of inflationary headwinds share price might take a bit of a whack with some disappointing earnings coming up so mm. there's a there's a, a case to be made for thinking that, that might be something you want to sell if you're interested in acting in that kind of way well done steve uh you're on one out of two and i don't have a pen and paper so we'll remember the score as we go along Okay. Uh, number three is both of us favourite that neither of us owns. I think I could be wrong about that. You might own it. C Limited. Um, so I don't own it, uh, but we did both own it uh, from pretty cheap, to be fair. We we made a decent amount of money on C Limited, uh, but we probably got out about 200% too early, which is the story of our lives with stuff like this, isn't it? Um, so yeah, so C Limited, he's very big on, uh, this kind of, um, well, this part of the world, isn't he? Uh, this kind of, this kind of expansion. So would he have been a net buyer of C? C was starting to come down at that period. And obviously C has recently pulled out of India as well, which has probably brought that price down even more. So it'd be very interesting to see what he's doing with that. Hmm. Um, but I would say... He was probably holding his position in C. All the right ideas, apart from the conclusion. Uh, mm. No. Uh, he was buying it. Uh, it's his 23rd largest holding. Added another 14% to what was his original... Uh, I say mm. original. His position going into Q4 of last year. Uh, you said all the right things from what I could see of it. Uh, mm. Just, um, yeah. Okay. Um, his, let's try a company then that neither of us knows anything about. These are always fun. Palantir. Um, what do you make of that? Um, oh, I don't really make anything of Palantir. I, I was quite mm. interested when it um, when it came public because it, its numbers say all of the right things. But I find it's it's one of those stocks that you you if you go on YouTube and you go onto any kind of growth investor, they've almost certainly got it in their pie. And when they tell you what it does, it you still don't really know. And it's like data analysis, government backed, you know, it's kind of like somebody reading out a load of buzzwords to you. And I still, I still don't know what it does. Um, so for me, it, it would never be a, never be a buy. It's in the too hard pile. It's in the, it's in the, you know, not even bother trying <laughs> to learn it pile. <laughs> so Druk, I think Palantir, so that was the beginning of the, that was, tech was coming down at this point. And Palantir was one of the ones that got hit pretty hard. So, I mean, I'd have to, on the previous form of the last three, go for he was adding. Uh, he was not adding. Uh, he was doing what you and me are doing, uh, which is to say holding. Um, he was presumably also trying to figure out exactly what it does. Feels like it's in a good sector, doesn't it, Palantir? And it feels like it generates very strong views out of people if they would only tell me quite what it does in a way that I could understand. So Scott Galloway, 
absolutely hates this company, uh, from mm. what I can tell of him. Uh, he has no time for it at all. I chuck this into the, as you called it, the too hard pile, the thing Chris Hill was saying of, uh, I, I, I don't need to be exposed to this kind of thing, as far as yeah. I can tell. I mean, it might be that I'm wrong about that, because it does something that he thinks I do need to be exposed to, because I don't know what it does, so how can I tell I don't need it? Yeah. Uh, but that's sort of general shape of uh, Palantir. It's a hold for Druk. Fair enough. Okay, number five. Here's one that I definitely know you know what it does. Um, Ollie's Bargain Outlet. Ha, so I remember making a joke about this at the time. Um, <laughs> so Ollie's has had some really disappointing results. Um, so basically the, the story behind Ollie's is um, if you wanted a toaster, you could go to Ollie's and get a toaster. The problem is it wouldn't be a Breville or a... Or a you know, a Bosch toaster or, or whatever. It would be a Green Bay Packers toaster and it would be $9 or something like that. And that's basically how Ollie's operates. It has everything you need, but in a weird brand or, you know, from a the clearance of a match store or, or something along those lines. Um, so the thinking between buying Ollie's, I would imagine for Druck, again, uh, putting words in his mouth, would have been... Some kind of depression, uh, depressed wages, uh, uh, not very much money in the economy. Something like Ollie's, which carries everything at a discount rate. Big bar, um, big sort of bargain basement, big box retailer um, would probably fare very well. And and it did for a period of time. Um, but now it's got really, really tough comps and it's not faring as well. Um, so I would say, God, I'm leaning towards hold. But I feel like that might not be the right answer. But but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for holding. No, selling. No. Selling. Oh. Holding is not the correct answer. Uh, unfortunately, neither is selling. Ah. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's when he was first buying it. Um, right. Ollie's is an interesting outfit. I mean, I think you owned that at one point. Um, mm -hmm. You had a view on that that wasn't just a kind of macroeconomic sort of. Uh, recession coming, inflation horrific, everything price going up, people need bargain outlets thing. What was your thinking there? Did so I'm thinking really that is it's a debt free uh, retailer that was expanding of its own volition. Um, it was not taking in any kind of outside force to 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 do it. It's doing basically natural growth and um, and with with excellent results. Um, my issue since then has been that pretty much every metric that I was looking at started to slip and it mm -hmm. got to such a price that it was like $140 at one point. I think it's like 40 or 50 now or something like that. And, uh, and I just cleared it out. So I thought, well, it's, that's too high risk for me. Um, I'll take my money and, and run. And, um, yeah, it's, that was definitely just sheer luck on that timing. Mm hmm. Okay. Uh, here's some more things that don't grow organically. Uh, stones are organic things that don't grow. But how about Stoneco? What do you reckon Druck was doing with that last uh, quarter? That's an interesting one. Um, you would have to assume he was buying it in the last quarter. Um, but I don't know how. I don't know how long he's owned Stoneco. I'm not not familiar with that position in his portfolio. Well, people watching would say I'm not familiar with any of the positions in his portfolio. Um, I'm going to go with buying. I'm going to go with buying. Uh, alas, for the likes of me, and I think for you as well, uh, not this time. No, he was giving it the meta platforms treatment, as we might call oh, it. Oh, selling the whole off. damn lot. Yeah, uh, which I so Stone Cohen moved a lot in that quarter, mostly mostly in a downwards direction, and we don't yeah. get any information about what prices they were sold at uh, from a thirteen F. We don't get any information about when in the quarter they were sold, because then you could work it out, obviously. Um, it might be, I'm not sure, I haven't looked back over this, but it might be that he sold it higher than it currently is at the mm. moment, to be honest, because even a big snapback from 40%, we've all seen that kind of table that says, look, if you lose 50%, uh, you need 100% to make your money back again. Uh, having lost the amount that Stone Co has lost in the last, even in the last quarter in Q4, uh, a 40% snapback actually doesn't bring you very far at all. Uh, a 40% mm. snapback from sort of $8 just takes you to about 12 for a stock that was... IPOing around 60-ish, I think, from memory. Mm, I was thinking 40, but 60 might be right. Mm. So uh, I have no idea whether that was good timing, bad timing, not deliberate timing or anything of the sort. But no, he was uh, running out of that one. 
Um, how about Amazon? A stock you and I both have and both like, I think. Yeah. Again, not one I remember seeing in this portfolio. Is it? Is it particularly high up? Uh, fifth largest at the end of the quarter. Hmm. That's interesting. So, I mean, we would both say that at the moment Amazon is in a period of investment. Um, so we're not seeing massive amounts of growth on the share price because their whole of their metrics are being depressed by the fact that they're spending so much on capex. Um, yep. and the vast majority of that is on their logistics division. Um, and warehousing. So would he be buying? Would he be holding? I don't think he'd be selling. That doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm going to guess holding. So you know how it works with these kind of whale things. I always enjoy YouTube videos when people who are not us say, well, here's clearly what Buffett is thinking. Here's clearly yeah, what Michael yeah. Burry is thinking. Uh, and let's be honest, uh, you can make sense of these decisions with your own rationale as much as you like. Um, but realistically, it's not the case that we know what they're thinking in any interesting way. We can only try and suggest, well, here's a reason for those sorts of things. I'm as lost as you are on this, for what it's worth. Uh, he's selling, <coughs> or was. Oof. Selling 41% of it, which is a big holding for um, Druckerberg. Um, but, yeah, it's you pointed out, you've got Amazon dead right. It seems like quite a cyclical sort of business, and I don't just mean the fact that it's partly kind of online retail which comes and goes as the economy comes and goes i mean mm. in terms of it's basically like a farm there's times when you're kind of planting stuff and times when you're kind of harvesting stuff and when you're mm -hmm. harvesting stuff all the cash kind of floods in and when you're planting stuff you feel like you're sending the cash out but the thought is you plant stuff at one price and harvest it at another price and that's more or less how the cycle kind of goes for that's it, yeah. as far as i can see of it that was more or less your view on it right mm -hmm. yeah i was thinking um at the moment amazon's kind of focuses on well, improving that improving that one day delivery time to same day delivery time. So we're going to see a period where um, you know Amazon delivery Amazon delivery is, is essentially loss making again um, because um, the the logistics of delivering something same day are completely different to delivering something next day. You can mm -hmm. load a van up with a hell of a lot more goods because you have a little bit of foresight. When you don't have foresight, it becomes a little bit trickier. So um, yeah, I think that's the sort of period we're looking at now. But the 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 beauty of amazon is that they always figure it out and they always find a way to make it work and i think that's uh i think that's where we'll be heading so i mean i guess i guess that's probably the position that that drop's seeing that you know he thinks amazon's going to be going through a period where they're maybe loss making perhaps he sees a, an opportunity to enter at a cheaper price yeah that might be something to, along those lines i think um his largest holding is a similar sort of sector, right? You uh, know this one reasonably well. It's Coupang, I think. Coupang, yeah. Mm. Korean Amazon, for as we call it. Uh, I, I, why not? I've lost count anyway. So, <laughs> so, I need uh, to get you, off you one. <laughs> oh, you're on one. Okay, let's see how we go with this one. You've got three more goes at getting off one. Uh, by the way, I think okay. three is probably par for this because I don't expect you to know any of these. And there's three options. Let's assume you get roughly one in every three, right? Uh, okay. So that's about what I got on your game, I think, as well. Freeport okay. McMorran, uh, copper miner and gold miner. Yeah, I was just thinking. Well, this is tricky, isn't it? Because we're like thinking. I mean, we don't we we don't know, but we think top of the cycle commodity plays probably made his money from Freeport McMorran. Uh, entirely independent of Druck for the moment. Um, I I'm only partly on that train. I'm agnostic as to whether I think copper can push higher from here. Okay. Uh, did you get that view from Druk? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, no, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I'm, I, I don't know. So a wild stab in the dark of selling. Mm, when you said wild stab in the dark, I knew it was all going to be over. You were never going to wild stab in the dark for hold, were you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, it is hold, which I'm encouraged by, because I think both you and I are holding our copper stuff at the moment, right? That's right, um, yeah. we're, Neither of us is minded towards running out of this, because actually, uh, I, I guess I put it slightly more explicitly than you, but I think neither of us is really comfortable trying to call the top of a cycle here, especially with electrification coming through and loads of other stuff as well. Copper price is clearly higher than they've been for a long time, but you can be too early out of these things, and too early is the same as wrong. We're both... Maybe we're both slightly conscious of the thought of 
a lot of our stuff, like Seat Limited, uh, is the product of selling stuff before it's reached the top of where it's kind of going, and, and maybe we'll just hang on this time through it. And also, Southern Copper, which is our one, not Freeport. Well, I don't think either of us owns Freeport, do we? No, no. Uh, not a good miner, mind you, but uh, Southern Copper as well does pay us a dividend, which is neither of us a dividend investor, but it's uh, it takes the sting out of hanging on a little bit, or gives you a little bit of an incentive to just sit there with it for a while. Essentially, yeah, because, I mean, we've got a 10%... Roughly 10% yield of cost to me. I'm not sure if yours is quite the same. I think it's, just... it's a little under that. It's uh, around 8-ish now, I think. But Yeah, so it's still a fantastic dividend, isn't it? Yeah, there comes a very real question of what else am I going to do with it? And and you can run that question forever, for what it's worth, and sell all of your uh, bottom 19 investments and turn them all into your top one, in which case I'll be entirely Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, hmm. But that doesn't seem to me to be the best idea that I have at the moment for stuff. Uh, okay, so Ollie's Bargain Outlet was uh, the, the Steve D wildcard choice here. Um, number nine is the Steve W wildcard choice here. Guidewire software, uh, insurance software. So I don't know an awful lot about this company. I know you've sent it to me a few times and I've skimmed over it, but I don't know an awful lot. Um, how, how I imagine it's quite a small position because I, I, it's not a very big company, is it? So you, can't, you probably can't earn an awful lot of it. Um see again it's going to be a wild stab in the dark but let's go for buying okay so um you're right in that it's not the biggest company in the world it's uh that's part of the attraction to my mind here it's got room to grow i'll take uh, half a point he's <laughs> not bumping up against the kind of you know buffett like oh i own 10 percent of this i can't possibly mm. get any more of it without some sort of uh, uh, difficulty with regulators and so on because if he were uh, that would be a pretty good reason to not say buying it um, <laughs> so uh, you are correct though Steve he uh, he started buying this in Q4 last year which um, yeah that takes you up to two here I'm uh, you, have one in, you have a one in, in fact you can have a half a point for the knowing what his biggest holding was a two and a half you're on here okay I'll uh, take it so that leaves you with one to go and a one in three shot of making what is over a passing mark, I reckon. It's here. Salesforce. It's not Salesforce. It is <coughs> another company you know and like, though. Okay. It's Airbnb. Oh. So, I think... I seem to remember seeing an interview where he was actually quite a big fan of Airbnb, but I can't remember... I can't remember how big, of a port, how big it is in this portfolio. Where does it sit? 11th. Oh, 11th or at the end okay. of Q4 it was 11th sorry okay um I think I think I'm gonna take a <laughs> I have no idea I'm gonna go hold <laughs> so I was thinking to myself here I will give you half a point for hold um you don't have a noise for a half <laughs> I was gonna say we don't have a noise for half a point <laughs> Uh, strictly, it is not a hold, but it is a sell that is less than one percent of a sell. Uh, okay, so that's strange. That's that's basically a hold. Uh, it's a very very tiny sell. Uh, so it's it's in yeah, it's in effect a hold. Uh, you can have that as a uh, a win though. So well done. Well, I make it that you scored three. Sorry, come. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was going to say any any reason for selling such a tiny amount? No Nothing I've given? seen. Drucker no, Miller is my kind of investor in the following sense. He doesn't feel the need to tell everybody what he's doing all the time. Buffett's a bit similar in certain ways. I mean, hmm. he answers questions and shows up on telly every so often and has a shareholder meeting, which is more of a kind of exhibit for selling stuff that the subsidiaries make than anything else. Yeah, but he, I. He's much more my kind of guy in terms of not of thinking, well, look, I put a lot of time into thinking about these things. I may want to buy these things some more. If I tell everybody I'm buying these things, price will go up, and then I'll have to mm. pay more for them. Um, Drucker Miller does do interviews uh, and does, you know, long-winded, deep thoughts about uh, particularly macroeconomic uh, situations and so on. But, uh, I, yeah, I like the way he kind of plays his cards close here and says, look, if I have information that I think is good, why would I give it away to you for free? Uh, yeah, it makes sense. The interesting uh, thought here, but yeah, uh, three. I think that's about what I got on your quiz as well. Uh, when I was quizney. guessing between, yep, that's it, Quizney, as it's now been known. Thanks to whoever came up with that idea. Uh, okay, so that's the end of our game. Time for something slightly different. Uh, this time we thought we'd uh, take the main bit of our podcast away from the stock market just for the moment, or at least away from discussing specific stocks. Plenty in that previous one, so. We've got something that we call the first ever 
playing footsie personal finance awards. Steve, this is your um, you're you're the architect of this innovation. Tell us more. Yeah, so I was just thinking um, we see a lot of sort of blogs and 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 people on Twitter um, posting what their favourite or basically asking where. Um, you know, where, where's your stocks and shares ISA going to be next year? Or where do you keep your emergency fund? Or is this bank any good? And we thought, well, we look at a hell of a lot of these things and we've looked at them from both a playing footsie, which is now a business point of view, and obviously from our from our own point of view. So a lot of these um, banks and, um, and, and accounts we've used ourselves, and we've tried them ourselves, so uh, we can offer as good an opinion as anybody else on them. So why not get them into some kind of award structure and um, we'll give you our thoughts and feelings on them. We'll probably be able to give you a bit of colour on some of the runner-ups as well. Sounds good. I mean, stock market investing for certainly me and I think pretty much the other guys as well is basically just one piece of our kind of personal finance jigsaw. It's a really interesting piece for us. It's a piece that we like thinking about and we like talking about and that's why we're kind of here, right? Because it's fun to share thoughts on these sorts of things, but it is only a part of that picture. And sometimes it's nice to kind of zoom out a little bit and think about the other bits of that that are moving around, like the emergency fund, like various other sorts of things that we'll uh, get onto in a moment. So we've got some categories. Steve, what's the first one? So uh, first category, um, we were thinking best savings account. And, and in this one particular, we're thinking of probably the best place to put our emergency funds. So mm. do you want to kick us off, Steve, with where you put your emergency fund? Sure. So I think we both put our emergency fund in the same place. Uh, we both put our emergency fund at the moment in the JP Morgan Chase Bank Um savings account which currently pays about a 1.5 percent uh we have a few accounts with them which I'll, I'll get you to describe in a moment i guess emergency funds are sort of interesting things it's mostly for me at the moment about finding the best interest rate that you can for something that's going to let you get at your money in an emergency uh, without any kind of penalty uh, i'll say a little bit more about that in a second but steve what else do we have with chase going on yeah so um just to quickly sort of add to that so emergency funds for me is it's got to be easy access i've got to be able to you know get the money out without penalty in a in a quick as possible um you know at least within a couple of days so there's a few sort of things you could think of like premium bonds or even marcus uh is is one but both of them um well premium bonds you need a hell of a lot of luck i've actually never won anything on premium bonds and despite having i think i had seven grand in at one point so that was like a real kick in the teeth but yeah i've never won anything on premium bonds and also um the marcus account it, it was an industry leading i think it's 1.45 percent at one point but it's dropped all the way down to uh i think it's about 0.6 or 0.7 at the moment so it, yep. it's no better um the other account that i would have lumped with them is chip uh which i don't know whether you've come across um steve but chip is a, an auto an auto sort of roundup an auto saving tool that looks at your bank account and automatically saves a portion of your money so what it tries to do is learn how you're spending uh, is and uh, every so often it'll deduct uh, a certain amount of money that it thinks that you can survive without and it usually does this on a, a weekly basis and that ends up being uh, you know a fairly a fairly decent amount and they also have a savings account as well which it, which they put it into uh, it can also go into investments as well um, and I think their rate at the moment is about 0.7% as well so uh, it was competitive and then Chase came along and just smashed everybody out of the park um, so I won't go too much into the other accounts because we're going to have a best bank section. And I think it'd probably be better to talk about Chase holistically uh, there. But savings account at the moment, I don't think there's any competition for JP Morgan Chase. I think they've absolutely smashed out of the park. Yeah, strongly agree with you. I used to have my emergency fund in a Marcus account. I still have my Marcus account for what it's worth because their rate did fall quite a bit. Uh, at the time it fell, they were still competitive with what was around against them at the time. And I think there was a time where they stopped taking on uh, new accounts at one stage, which made me think I would expect them to make some sort of move to be competitive again. And it might be a scramble to get back into them if I close the account. So I I'm happy to sit that there with nearly nothing in it rather than closing it and shutting the thing down. So I'm, I'm all right with that for the time being. Premium bonds are a different sort of animal. Uh, I had about six and a half thousand in there, and I believe I won on average three lots of 25 quid every two years. So about 32 <laughs> quid a year on six and a half grand, which is pretty terrible, uh, but nothing compared to yours. 
um, for what it's worth. I mean, I made at least something, even though I was losing to inflation. The thing with premium bonds, I guess the main thing going for them is if you are extremely, extremely uh, concerned and defensive about things, they're government backed rather than bank backed in a certain mm. way. So it would be, it would take a lot more for them to fail, I guess, in a certain way. I suppose you'd be bailed out by uh, government anyway because your FSC is protected with either Chase or Marcus. But um, that's one thing, I guess, to sort of keep in mind with premium bonds. And you can win big with them, uh, mm. I guess. In theory, it's possible. Steve hasn't done it, and I haven't done it, but presumably someone somewhere is winning big uh, with premium bonds, and if it ain't us, it might as well be you. Uh, so there's something to be said for them. Yeah, I think the the only thing I would really add to that, Steve, is that if you're if you're one of those people who plays the lottery, um, it's probably better just putting your money in premium bonds because mm. um, it seems to have a much better win rate. Plus, it doesn't cost you anything other than what you save, so you can get it all back at the end. Plus, there's a chance of winning that. I think it's a million is the top. The top prize, isn't it? So might well be. Yeah, and I've and I've seen it before. When you look through the stats, that's you know you're looking through it, and someone's got two hundred quid and they've won a million. You think, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's the uh, that's it. That's how our uh, best savings account is is Chase. Mm. If that's you, by the way, that's winning that kind of money, do let us know below and um, uh, buy us a coffee or something like that as well. Mm. But. Uh, one other thing on emergency funds for what it's worth. I heard something interesting on a podcast about them recently. It wasn't our one. Can't remember what it was called or I would recommend it. But one pe uh, person was speaking to the kind of frustration that a lot of us feel. Uh, and I feel it too about having to sit money there without it really doing anything. Probably losing to inflation. In some cases, historically, not really making any money at all uh, in these kind of cases. And one thing they did say is that here's how to think about making money with your emergency fund. You're not going to move it and you're not going to touch it. But if you have a big emergency fund that allows you to stick things like a higher excess on your insurance, which allows you to bring your premiums down, because mm -hmm. the thought here is it's therefore an emergency, right? If you are in a car accident or something like that, you will have to pay your excess. If your emergency fund is covering that, uh, you can push your excess up to higher on your emergency fund. You have it covered. It's there to defend your investments, basically. Uh, and make it the case that, look, if you're in a car accident, you don't have to sell something you didn't want to sell out of your stocks because you have the money available. So think about the money you save by possibly having higher premiums as justifying a bigger um, uh, emergency fund. That's uh, mm. what I was thinking about there. And I thought that was quite a nice way of thinking about things. It helps draw the sting out of it for me a little bit of having to sit there watching six months worth of... Um, uh, costs running along at 1.5%, which is actually mm. not that painful given where it's been sat out for the last year or so. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, uh, on to the next one, which we have down as being um, Best Bank. Steve, mm. do you have, um, do you have an, any, any, any sort of shortlist? There's lots of banks that I like at the moment. They're mostly the kind of new challenger banks. So Steve and I are both shareholders in Monzo. We should say that before we start talking about them. I do most of my banking with Monzo. My joint account is currently with Monzo because it was so much easier to set that up than it was with any of the legacy banks. Mm. Like you would not believe easier. I'm with uh, Monzo, my now wife, when we start getting a joint account. We weren't married yet, but is now with Monzo. Um, and there's nice stuff like pots and whatnot, but just setting that account up was so much easier. So big shout out to Monzo for getting something very right there. Uh, I'm a shareholder, I would say that, but uh, it, it is true, I think. Yep. Um, I would say Monzo um, is is probably the easiest to use of all of, of all the banks. Its UI seems really intuitive. Um, it does a lot of things really, really well. Um, if we were looking at legacy banks, I would probably point towards NatWest. I think their apps come along quite a long way. It's very functional. Um, it doesn't have all the problems I used to have with banks like First Direct. And I remember Halifax being an absolute pain in the ass of that ping, pin pad operator key thing. Oh, it was a nightmare. Um, but they're not they're not top. Um, they're not top for me at all. The, the winner is quite clearly um, Chase Bank again. And for a number of reasons, really. Um, but Chase is very functional now. So uh, it does all the things that um that the monzo app really does um it allows you to uh look at your spending and, uh, and analyze your spending it also has some fantastic connected accounts so they have a roundup function which rounds up all of your spendings to the nearest um nearest pound and it puts that money into a savings account automatically for you that attracts five percent interest and at the end of every calendar year and um, they apply the interest and then shuffle it into your um into your main account 
Um, so this is an annual thing. It looks like they're going to let this run and run and run, which seems seems pretty fair. Uh, they also offer for the first 12 months, you get 1% on all of your debit card uh, spending back into a pot. And uh, and obviously, we've already discussed it. They get the um, the 1.5% um, savings account, which at the moment, uh, at the time of recording, is, is market leading. Um, it wouldn't have been eligible for this because it didn't do um, direct debits up until about a month ago. And now they do do direct debits as well. Um, so Chase Bank for me is is clearly, and especially something that's only really just new on the scene, it's clearly uh, the, the best bank around at the moment. It's been a little while in coming, this Chase Bank thing. Uh, and I know this because uh, one thing that during the lockdown a lot of people were interested in was side hustles you can do from home. And I did a little bit of user testing uh, work. One of the things I user tested without knowing it at the time was, in fact, Chase's uh, banking app. Uh, I had this fintech thing and prodded some buttons and was given a kind of trial app to have a look at. And they asked me for my thoughts on it and where I was looking to press things and so on and so forth. And uh, I recognize it now as being from Chase, for what that's worth. So I was I was involved in kind of the early part of that. I gave them one bit of uh, constructive criticism feedback, which they've ignored, uh, for what it's worth. Um, I suggested that where Monzo have pots and so on, where you can separate things out, Chase tend to stick them in separate accounts, one yeah. way or another. I said I was a little bit with my consumer hat on wary of this because the Wells Fargo fake accounts thing or having people as many accounts as you can was fresh in my mind. I was put off by them being accounts rather than kind of sections of mm. an account, even if that's just a kind of interface thing, even if my Monzo things are all in fact accounts without me kind of knowing it they're just called pots i feel like they're partitioned bits of uh, one account rather than a bunch of different ones and that makes me a little bit happier uh mm. but that's uh chase for what it's worth i also think they're great i'm also with them i'm attempting to get as much money into my roundup uh thing as i can i sort of wonder whether i would like my ambition is eventually uh, and this is a very very lofty ambition but i have a thought that my emergency fund being in my 1.5 percent chase thingy uh I would like that very much to be in my 5% chase thingy. So I wonder whether hmm. I could let out bits of my emergency fund as my rounded up pot grows. Uh, so as I stick another quid into the roundup pot, let a quid out of the emergency fund uh, and just use the rounded up pot gaining 5% as an emergency fund and sit a big pile of cash there. It will be absolute years until I'm in a process to get all of that out again. But it does feel like I'm not going to touch that 5% thingy for uh, anything other than likely an emergency it might as well be used as the emergency fund if i can do it i did see that early on somebody was cheesing the account they were basically found a way to buy things for one pence and then it was rounding up the 99p and they just kept doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again <laughs> and they ended up uh they ended up with like cheer stringing them up going like no stop cheating <laughs> but um yeah, yeah. i'm not doing interesting that. Okay, so next topic is um, business banking. So again, we've got a, a bit of a short list on this one. Uh, we've been looking at, um, especially through Playing Futsal, we've been looking at three uh, three of the business banks. Um, we saw, uh, had a look at Revolut. We've had a look at um, Monzo. And we had a look at um, Starling, which I think we've probably got a fairly negative opinion of uh, because they wouldn't open the account for us. Um, but... So, Steve, you've used you've used Monzo. Uh, how how does it work for you? I have used Monzo. Still continue to as well. They have a couple of tiers. They have the kind of basic tier and the sort of more premium tier. The basic tier more or less works like another current account or another personal account, from what I can see of it. It has it's missing a couple of the features of the personal account, so mm. you can't get paid early uh, on the business account. So on Monzo, if it sees your salary coming in, it will allow you to pull it forward by a day. Uh, as long as it does arrive, more or less. If it can see there's a transaction due on the Tuesday, on the Monday, you can uh, drag the money into the wallet and the money will appear in your account on Monday. If that money subsequently doesn't appear, by the way, you have to pay it back again. Mm. Um, but uh, that's not a feature of the business thing. It also has pretty much nearly no business functionality, uh, the basic Monzo thing. And the other issue for Monzo, the reason we don't have it with playing footsie in spite of this, is that it's not possible for someone to have more than one uh, business account with Monzo. Uh, mm. And since I have... Some of my work is done by contract. Basically, I'm set up as a sole trader and my business account is with Monzo, which meant that we couldn't set the playing footsie up one, uh, one up with them as well. So it's a very good account. I recommend it for people who like me who don't want to do many particularly clever things. 
if you just want somewhere that you can have people pay your money into uh just a thought on that in a second actually you can see it all come in in one place it will all kind of count itself nicely for you and your tax return at the end of the year will be easy strong marks for monzo there is one other snag to it that i'm not sure that i've mentioned before um and i'm not entirely sure it's monzo's fault but it is a feature of monzo so uh some of the people i contract for bank in very fancy places places like coots um and coots it turns out doesn't recognize my monzo business account uh it doesn't recognize that as the kind of account that anyone could be paying any money into at all mm. so a lack of recognition uh, from monzo sad times uh, yeah but yeah that's the monzo business account steve okay so um revolut is is probably going to be our winner um just because um it's it's the same price as Monzo in that it's free, but you get a lot of premium features um, stuck on the top of it. So uh, in the Revolut app, you're able to create invo invoices, uh, number them, send them out to your customers. Your customers can then click on a button and actually pay them. Um, so it, ha it has like a credit card processor built into it as well. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, it's got tons and tons of integrations. I'm just having a quick look down the list now. It's got, you know, all the things you would expect like Xero, Sage, Free Agent, QuickBooks, FreshBooks. Um, it also tie into things like um, WooCommerce, and Magento, and PrestaShop to to pull all your invoicing and, and and from there as well. So, and then at the end of it, you can just chuck out a report which you can hand to your accountant and say, sort this for me. I'm too stupid to do it myself. Um, so yeah, we've been really really impressed with it. Um, we recently bought the. Um, the logos we we got them from Fiverr, and uh, it was really cool. You could you could expense it. You could set all your standard accounting codes against it, and um, and then you could approve it as well. The, the the other good thing is that you can have all um, up to three. I think it's up to five team members on it as well, so we can all you know use various aspects of the account, and uh, we don't have to sit and wait for each other to to do stuff. So. Um, yeah, we've been really impressed with Revolut. I mean, I guess we should say that it's strictly not a bank. I don't believe it actually has a banking license at the moment, um, but it's uh, but it's it's perfectly perfectly fine for what we need it for. I think it's got an e-money license, but um, we're counting it. Yeah, it's functionally a bank, uh, and we found it much easier to sign up than we did with Starling. For what it's yeah. worth. Not sure why that is that Starling struggled with our application. There seems to be no particular reason with it, but. Uh, we yeah we spent a while trying to apply with Starling didn't really get anywhere they said no, no thank you and we tried Revolut and that appeared to go straight through yeah yeah absolutely which is quite the experience I guess for three guys who have never met each other to be trying to set up a business together and suddenly yeah. realizing hang on these people say we shouldn't be doing this yeah <laughs> hang on that's Paul's middle name <laughs> Ti Tiberius <laughs> why is this address in West Africa <laughs> yeah okay okay um shuffling on we have best uh stocks and shares isa and um to be honest with you i don't think there's any real competition here i mean i've looked through and used the likes of free trade i've tried Lightyear. i've tried orca um i just don't think there's anything that compares to trading two on two at the moment i think they're still so far in front it's unreal steve yeah, I think I tend to agree with you here. Um, just fees-wise, free trade charges, I think, for its ISO, which sort of immediately kind of leans me away from it a little bit. I'm not sure about Orca. I did use that platform for a little bit. I remember thinking it was a kind of promising early stage uh, thing, but it was a bit far back on its um, development for me. So that's one I'm keeping an eye on for the future. I'm very open-minded to the idea of moving away from 212 at some point in the future. I'm not sure that time is now. Uh, these awards are happening now. Uh, there's not much to say. We're both well known for being fairly big 212 fans here. So I guess that's not really a surprise to anybody. Yeah, and there's also Stake as well, which I guess could eventually um, bring a nice... But they've all got... Uh, they're all trying to approach investing in, in a similar way, but with different fees. Whereas Trading 212 seems to have just gone, oh, well, if you guys are happy paying fees, uh, trying all these other places, then we'll we'll stick a few fees out as well. So uh, it's a it's one of those scenarios where the competition has actually managed to make trading two on two a little bit worse for everybody <laughs> rather than like making it redouble its efforts. But even in doing that, it's still so far ahead of all of these apps. I mean, like Orca and Lightyear and even Stake to some degree, uh, it feels like you're beta testing things for them. Uh, free trade, um, 
I, I had a number of issues with free trade when I used it. I had like horrible execution and it used to take forever and it used to constantly fail and the time it used to take money to reach your account. And then they introduced all these uh, fees and, and all these paywalls and things like that. It just feels like free trade's going down the complete wrong path for me. So best option shares, I say, I can't tell you to look anywhere other than 212. And if you were looking to open an account at the moment, honestly, I'd, I'd say wait for 212, get your name on the wait list and, uh, and, and just wait for it. Mm. Okay, uh, we'll shuffle on quickly to best stocks and shares LISA. Um, this is an interesting category. I don't actually have a LISA, so your opinion here, Steve, very much welcome uh, over mine. Um, just to let everybody know who doesn't, doesn't deal with a LISA, LISAs have a 4K limit. You get a 25% government bonus um, stuck on top of them. Um, and you can only use them for buying your first property um, or saving up for retirement. And the, the other sort of thing to know about them is, that, well, if you can, if you get, if you got critically ill as well, I suppose you can use them um, in that capacity as well. And I think the age limit to open one is 55, Steve. I might check yep. that while, um, while, you're, while you're giving your thoughts. Yeah, I think it is uh, somewhere around that level, but I'll give you a chance to look into it. So this is a straightforward fees race, as far as I can tell. Uh, and it, very much this is kind of the sort of thing that might depend on exactly what you plan on doing with it, because pretty much everyone charges at least some sort of fee in some certain way if you use your lifetime ISA like a kind of ordinary stocks and shares ISA in a kind of trading 212 style. So there are people that charge you per transaction. There are people that charge you for holding things. There are people that charge you more and less depending on whether what you're buying is a fund versus an individual stock. Uh, and there's lots to look into here, but it's basically a competition to try and get your fees as low as you can. Uh, my winner here for what it's worth is Hargreaves Lansdowne, which it tells you based on what we've said about Hargreaves Lansdowne in the past, tells you I think there's opportunity for a company to come and do better here by adding mm. some more wrappers in. I offered a kind of honourable mention here to AJ Bell, uh, which I was looking at. It has a quite attractive looking Lysa type thing. It also needs just pointing out, I think, that the difference between AJ Bell and Hargreaves Lansdowne is AJ Bell charges you a pound fifty transaction fee on funds. Uh, Hargreaves Lansdowne doesn't charge you a transaction fee on funds, as far as I can tell. Uh, and my lifetime ISA is mostly full of those things. I save my kind of stock picking for elsewhere. So I guess you could loosely call me a kind of core and satellite in a certain sort of way. But um, if you listen to a lot of the kind of podcasts and the investing lines of thinking that we like, a lot of them tend to say something along the lines of, look, get yourself a nice, solid, diversified base with a bunch of ETFs or funds or something along those lines. And then after that, by all means, go pick some stocks if you like. This is where I kind of stash my diversified base thing, and it doesn't cost me anything to store it there uh, from what I can see of it. So in general, uh, Hargreaves Lansdowne takes it for me, but there is real scope for uh, somebody to come and do better. I fully expect this to be a different winner by next year. Cool. Um, just to let everybody know, I did butcher that. Uh, you had to be between 18 and 40 to open up a uh -huh. ISA, and you get the 25% government bonus up to the age of 50. So That's the one. They're the rules. Okay. Uh, okay, moving onwards. It's best JISA, or junior ISA. Mm. Um, Steve, again, this is one I don't have, um, so I'll let you lead. Well, I'm a bit old for a junior ISA as well, but uh, I am looking into it with a small one on the way. So Junior ISA is uh, something you can open for basically a child, which can be held until they're 18, paid into by various family members, and then it becomes theirs. Uh, it has the same kind of uh, tax exemptions as an ISA, so there's an attraction to it there. And I believe there's a £9,000 a year limit that you can pay into it. For what it's worth, I'll be using the Junior ISA as my excuse for not filling my own ISA uh, at the end of the next tax year. Whether or not that's true or whether I just don't save aggressively enough, who will know? Uh, but it will certainly be the case that I almost certainly don't fill my own ISA because I'm taking advantage of uh, what I'm hoping will be uh, my small son's uh, new ISA limit and so on. Most of these tend to be places to sort of stash funds rather than individual stocks again. Um, Vanguard is a good one. Uh, it comes down to a kind of fees race here. So the best one that I've seen so far is Fidelity. Uh, that charges about 0.32% per year. Vanguard at 0.39% is... Not that much more expensive, but uh, you take these things where you can find them. Low-cost things are generally going to win here. Best Junior ISA's Fidelity. I've heard very, very good things about their customer service that I haven't experienced firsthand. Um, but 
that's our junior ISO winner for this year. Cool. Um, okay, so we've just got the last category, um, which we couldn't manage to get the word best into. Um, so we've got most promising up and comer. So this really is a category that is just for um, all those other apps that uh, that are just starting or have started in the last year. They're not quite uh, at the level of you know some of the ones we've mentioned here and. Um, We've narrowed it down to, to two, I think, um, and we could probably pick a winner live here, but um, or we could give them both, I guess. But uh, we've, we've looked at Invest Engine, which is essentially um, a free way to buy um, ETFs on uh, on a on a nice app. The the, the founder is the um, was the original founder of Gumtree, uh, so he has experience in making this kind of thing. Um, it seems. Too cheap is my initial uh, my initial point about Invest Engine. I don't see how they're going to make money, which is always troubling for me to then place my money in them. Um, they have all the the guarantees that you would expect from a, a trading app of this sort, um, but for me, it just feels uh, it's just a little bit early, and I'm interested to see what they they end up um, being um, as this goes out. Um, they will have completed a raise on Crowdcube, um, so uh, they were looking to raise seven hundred thousand, but they already had five hundred thousand in institutional money. So it's a, it's always a little bit of a lie um, when they start off that high up. But um, no, best of luck to them. I'll be uh, keeping a close eye on this one. The other one was uh, Lightyear. Steve, do you know an awful lot about this one? I don't know. Okay, so Lightyear is. Um, uh, a stock trading app. It uh, was made by um, some of the people who were the, um, the early dev team at TransferWise. So their specialty is getting UFX at rock bottom prices. Um, so that's kind of where Lightyear is is hanging its hat. So it's uh, it looks to me like it's it's tagged into the Drive Wealth um, kind of app uh, ecosystem in the same way that Revolut is, and in the same way that. Um, uh, free trade is now uh, they have the very similar sort of stocks and a very similar sort of feed uh, although I can't confirm that um, so yeah they're, they're hanging their hat on FX they think FX is going to be a problem for all the other apps and they think that they'll be able to get it at a much cheaper rate it's a very interesting uh, looking app it, it runs really really nicely it's got a lovely UI um, my only issue with it is just content just not enough stocks um, you, you couldn't build a build um much of a portfolio i mean half the nasdaq was missing when i was when i was on it but something that's very promising something that i'll keep an eye on perhaps a potential future winner interesting so which way are you leaning here steve are you thinking both of them um yeah let's give it to both of them okay sounds good uh, okay, so that's the last of our awards that we've got here at the moment. Uh, and thank you all very much for listening. There's no doubt loads of stuff that we've missed in all these categories, especially that up-and-comer. We'd be really interested in hearing anything that you think is up-and-coming and promising that uh, we ought to have a look at, that we ought to know about. Um, some of these things we have more chance to look into than others as well. So mm. if you're stashing your ISA somewhere else, then let us know and let us know why. Uh, we're always interested in hearing your thoughts on these sorts of things, so please do leave us a, a rating and a comment and say something nice or say something constructive or say something that's neither of those things. Uh, but this was Steve and Steve and the very first Playing Footsie uh, Personal Finance Awards. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.